The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafi Hussein. We are today going to talk about Charcot. Arthropathy is a particular problem that is seen in neuropathic patients. And it was originally described uh, by Charcot, a French neurologist. And he was describing it in patients who had syphilis. Yeah, yeah. Tertiary syphilis. Yes. And so diabetes wasn't a big deal back then. Uh, didn't apparently have many type 2 diabetics because nobody had enough food to begin with. Um, <laughs> so uh, the syphilitics were those that got neuropathy as an uh, end stage of the disease process, and they developed these horrible uh, joint problems where the joints would collapse, the bones would become soft. And so Charcot described this process, and it's been uh, later you know, associated with type 2 diabetes, type 1 diabetes, patients with longstanding neuropathic problems where you know, there's two different theories. There's the German theory and there's this French theory. And I don't know yeah, where you fall in between, but... I think most people kind of associate both of them working together. There's the, the neurotraumatic theory, which um, due to the neuropathy, you pretty much walk so much that the joints start breaking down. Uh, a good example is um, uh, if you're laying in bed, right, and you're, you're stiff, you're aching, you'll move because it's pressure on a spot. But when you have neuropathy... Imagine putting, you know, 200 plus pounds on each foot every time you walk. Those joints will wear out. And obviously, if you don't feel those joints wearing out, you end up breaking down that cartilage and um, wearing away. The other theory is the neurovascular theory where uh, the autonomic nervous system pushes excess blood flow, the AV shunting. Right. Um, and you pretty much wash out the blood, right? You, you wash bone. out the mineral. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and so the bones get softer. And, and in surgery, we really notice this. You know, when you're yeah. when you're dealing with charcoal bone, it's it's very soft. It's very unusual. Yeah, brittle. Brittle. It doesn't um, it doesn't hold fixation well. Yeah. And and so the the real issue is, and we'll show some pictures, is these feet become severely deformed. And when you have neuropathy and you can't feel it, the deformations then lead to ulcers, which get infected and then can cause amputation. So one of the reasons why I went to Russia to study at the Russian Ilzarov Scientific Center 
Yeah, they're the main people, uh, the uh, I guess the original hipsters as far as framing goes. Well, they they didn't invent it, but no, no, they, no. But they they certainly it and they, they saw pop- the advent, uh, and and they they kind of perfected it. I yeah. mean, they really have done an amazing job over there. But they're very specifically granted. It's been since two thousand seven since I did this fellowship over there. But they were very specifically using external fixation for everything. They would yeah. fix bunions with this when. Most of us would use internal fixation or screws, which is AO and, and a German, you know, a group that developed AO. And so you have this kind of dichotomy. We in the U.S., we kind of use both. And so yeah. I think we're kind of the best of both worlds and that we'll use internal fixation when it's appropriate and we'll use external fixation when it's appropriate. But clearly in cases like this, I, I, you know, this is from a lecture that I've done several times all over the world, really. The last time I did this was in China. But, you know, friends don't like friends fix charcoal with Tinker Toys. You, you can't fix this problem with K-wires. You can't fix this problem with small, thin plates and tiny screws. Yeah, like, like we said earlier, work. the bones are very frail. So right. putting your basic fixation across there is, is limited because they're not gripping as hard. They're not locking into place as you need them to be. And this is kind of why we're talking about framing. And Dr. D here uh, has this... <laughs> Amazing we, lecture where we talk about all this. Uh, and we ha- and I have examples. frames literally like lining my office here that we've used on different patients <laughs> over the years. They're like, you know, pelts on the wall. Yeah. So again, you know, friends don't let friends fix Starco with Tinker Toys. And you can see the foot looks deformed. You've got dislocations. You've got bones that are dissolving the midfoot, the tarsal bones, which are the small little bones behind the long metatarsals. Those, those bones are literally dissolving. Yeah, they're collapsing they're under collapsing, the pressure of the right. foot and the body. And you can't use these small screws. You can see in this picture the plate is broken. Yeah, look at that. Right there. Yep, great example. And then in the far right one, you can see the screw is broken. That broken screw right there. Yeah, this you have to over-engineer these. And when you don't, you will eventually pay the price. So that's where external fixation really came into vogue, at least here in the U.S., was these really horrible deformities. You know, the theory is you're trying to use this frame to take load off of the foot and ankle and place it onto the leg. So you're placing it onto the tibia. And the interesting thing about Ilazarov, who, you know, developed this reputation in Kurgan, which is part of Western Siberia, you know, he lived in this town and he, he was an orthopedic surgeon. He had all these patients that were suffering from what they called road trauma, which is essentially MVAs. These were motor vehicle accidents. People who had tibia fractures that didn't heal or had non-unions. And he had a bicycle plant in Kurgan. And he was imagining, he was seeing some of these theories of external fixation and he had this bicycle plant and he thought, well, what if I use some of these pieces of engineering that are coming out of the bicycle plant, these skinny wires and and these um, rings with holes in them, and use that as my construct for then fixating these horrible fractures and, and then even lengthening bones that have shortened because yeah. of fractures that didn't heal right. And with these Remarkable. motor vehicle traumas, there's a lot of soft tissue injury. Right, um, that you need to protect. You don't want to be opening up a, a site that's already got a huge hematoma and bruising and stuff under there because that's a nidus for infection. Right. So... So he was brilliant in that he was able to use the things that he had access to and really found a way to fixate horrible fractures and to lengthen bone. And we probably won't go into too much of the lengthening because uh, that gets a little esoteric. But it's a great way to deal with some pretty severe injuries that are limb-threatening. Yeah. And these are seriously your limb-threatening uh, conditions. So Charcot is a limb-threatened condition, there's no doubt. 
he was using these 1.8 millimeter, uh, we call them skinny wires. And when you tension them, so you're putting them through the leg, you're connecting them to the frame, and then you're tensioning them with a special device. You can use other techniques, but essentially you're applying tension across that. That fixates it very sturdily to yep. the tibia. And you can provide traction or distraction right. or angulation. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, you can the, the modern versions of these external fixators are remarkable. They're yeah. using all kinds of hinge techniques that are really remarkable. You can stick with the straight and narrow, very boring X-Fix device, and you don't Still need to get straight. too tricky with it, and you can do some amazing things with it. And we'll show you some great advantages of it. So, yeah, the question is, if you have an open wound in a diabetic patient, do you want to put internal fixation in there when you have to fix these fractures? And the answer is probably no. no. That's a surefire way of getting your internal fixation infected and yeah. have that be a huge nightmare. So if you're a diabetic patient and you have a wound on the bottom of your foot, it's very difficult for us to fix the reason why you have the wound on the bottom of your foot without getting you off of it. Some people physically can't use crutches, physically yeah. don't do well getting around their, their house in a wheelchair because maybe their house doesn't fit a wheelchair very well. So those are folks where we can put them in external fixators and and keep the foot off the ground for three or four months. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Like So like for this example right here, like this is one of your patients. That's a classic rocker bottom foot. You got that so that is, that's foot, a midfoot exactly. charco. Right? That heel bone, that he's, you see that? bone is literally angled up it it's, should be it's the opposite down. direction yeah it's yeah. literally the opposite direction right. and you so can see that, that rocker and your your weight bearing on a part of the foot that was never meant to be weight bearing yeah. which and is so essentially that, the the uh, calcino cuboid joint there that area ends up becoming a pressure sore which you know you're like all right we got to take the pressure off of it. we got to heal that ulcer how do we take the pressure off of it if they can't be you know not weight bearing they're uh, you can't have them wheelchair band. You can't have them on crutches. You, you try to cast and pad and all this, things are failing. Some so. of these folks are, you know, 300 plus. Yeah. I mean, some of these folks are, you know, they weigh 320 pounds. They can't get around very well. So that pressure point is a significant problem for this particular patient because yeah. they have a chronic ulcer underneath there. And here you can see the Charcot deformity. I mean, you literally see obliteration of that joint yep. completely broken down. You can see that you have that rocker bottom deformity. And here, uh, the Mary's yeah. angle. Yeah, that talus uh, and your first metatarsal, whenever I do my flat foot surgeries, they need to be parallel. They need to be in a line because that's what's making that medial column. When you see that collapse there, that's that collapse right here that you're seeing coming across. And boom, you're in a rocker bottom situation. So the rocker bottom foot is the issue. So when you're trying to fix these, what are your surgical goals? You're trying to get the heel at least neutral. You certainly don't want it in a negative position or a calcaneous position. You want to bring the heel back to where it's bearing weight where it's supposed to in yeah. the back, and then eliminate as much of the weight bearing on the midfoot collapse as you can. And sometimes there's only so far you're going to be able to take this. Yeah. But if you can get it to a neutral position, at least then you have the ability to offload the foot and prevent these ulcers. So braceable limb, and that's really the goal. Yeah. We're not looking for perfection. This thing isn't going to look normal. You're not going to be back out running, you know, a quarter mile, you know no. I mean? <laughs> Most of these people are not, you know, long distance runners to begin with. But but yeah, the goal is we don't want to lose the limb. We want a braceable limb, a braceable limb, a braceable limb. That's a crow boot, uh, Charcot Restraint Orthopedic Walker, and it's a clamshell custom-made boot that is the end result after these major reconstructive surgeries. That's the limb-saving step. So you can't consider surgery as a way of eliminating a crow boot because there are other joints that are involved. Other joints can break down. The ankle can break down. We have to protect them and that's the best way to do it. 
But some of these folks, their deformity is so bad yeah. that the crow boot is inaccessible. It's not going to yeah, do the job. Their foot won't even fit into it. I mean, right. Their, their deformity so is that bad. Yeah. yeah. So we do do tendo Achilles lengthening. So a lot of the deformity where you see the heel in the wrong position is the Achilles is just cranking on the heel and pulling yeah. it out it, of position. It's pulling that heel bone up so hard that that rocker bottom foot, it's inevitable. If yeah. the Achilles is that tight... So we do the tendo Achilles lengthening. Or, or, you know, if you can get away with a gastroc, but most of the time it's yeah, it's a gastrosoleus. So you really got to do the, the tendo Achilles length. So that, that percutaneous uh, modified hoke, you know, we've, we've relied on for decades. It works well. You know, when we're doing a fusion of the ankle, the subtalar joint, and uh, essentially doing a, a pantalar fusion, you don't really use the Achilles anymore, so yeah. it's not that critical. You could just you know cut it and let it fly, but we usually do the three the three level. Yeah, there's a lot of argument nowadays to just completely resect it because if you're fusing everything and yeah. that joint's not moving anymore, then you're like, what is this tending physically doing anymore? Right. It's, it doesn't really have a purpose yeah. at that stage. I think the logic is they'll scar back in an unlengthened position, but uh, I agree with you. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a triple hemi resection myself. So this is one of the more modern uh, versions of an external fixator with some significant uh, hinging that, that makes these extremely powerful and, and being able to control the position of the foot while things are healing. Sometimes we can use them to dynamically change. Yeah. So we could lengthen the Achilles or release the Achilles and get the Achilles to lengthen over time. Most of the reason we're using these now is static control. Like we're doing all of our correction on the OR table. Yeah. We're positioning the foot where now the foot is under the leg. Things are lined up appropriately. And then we're using the frame to hold everything together. And you can see it's built out past the bottom of the foot. So that foot and ankle are not going to hit the ground for three or four months. Yeah, and if they, they have, have a wound, it's going to be protected. They have that rocker bottom built into the, the frame. Right. So if there's any flint or ulcers it'll completely offload them. Right. So it's like a, a twofold benefit. And those things, the plantar ulcers that may have been present for months and months and months, oh, they heal they'll so heal quick. in like two weeks, yeah, three it's weeks. <laughs> it's crazy. Once you get the pressure off, it's like, it doesn't matter what magic fairy dust you put on them, they'll, they'll heal up. So yeah, that's a, that's a good example. That was a really good case. So that was a mid-foot Charcot that we were able this to This is exactly, this use. is like right post-op, huh? Because you still yeah. got the blood and stuff on yep, there. Yep, yep. Maybe the first, first, no, they're still in the hospital. You can see the hospital yeah. uh, table there. As you can see now, straight and and foot. so people often wonder: is, is it painful to be in the external fixator? No, no. I mean, once the pins are put in, granted, these are neuropathic patients anyway. They yeah. may still have some sensation of the pins higher up the leg, Proximal, yeah. but once they're in and they're tensioned, they're not going anywhere. They're not usually irritating anything, and minimal so pa movement. minimal yeah. and patients have minimal pain with that at that point. Yeah, it, it's almost like having an IV line, and that's what most patients tell me. That's a really good analogy. Yeah. yeah. So here's kind of an x-ray. A lot of metal in the way, but essentially what we're looking for is is the ankle aligned, and the ankle's pretty well aligned in that picture. And most of these newer frames are, are radiopaque, so they don't even show up on a Radiolucent? Radiolucent, yeah. 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 Uh, yes and no. They, the shadows. I think some of them claim that more than it, it's really um, <laughs> possible, but... In that case, we were distracting the ankle to try to get the ankle to yeah. continue to you work. You can see those wires under tension right there. We got a plantar grade foot. Yeah, that looks great. It's better. It's not perfect. Yeah, and, far better than it was. I'm yeah. sure the person doesn't have a wound there anymore. And there's no place else for it to go. So yeah. now you can see the subtalar joints fused. The midfoot is one mass of bone. There's nothing else to collapse. Yeah. So that's the other benefit is when we fuse everything, as long as we've controlled any pressure points, they shouldn't ulcerate again. 
there's no place else for it to go. So that's a really nice result, I think, uh, you know, long term for that particular patient. So this is a 63 year old uh, patient, initial stabilizing surgery failure by another surgeon. Um, that, you know, again, that was the Tinker Toy uh, patient. So this guy, we ended up having to use bone graft and uh, bone morphogenic proteins and BMA. So this is a dislocated medial column. You yeah, can see that, that the first ray, or the first metatarsal and the cuneiform are completely... Is that the second cuneiform sitting yeah, on top? Pretty much sitting on top. So, yeah, I mean, they're not where they're supposed to be. Wow. So this had... And look, look where his calcaneus is. Calcaneus is heading in the wrong direction. Look at that talus. Look at that first. I mean, they're not parallel. I no. mean, and they should be lined up like... And they're really down. not near each other. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to literally take his first cuneiform out yeah. and then off all of the cartilage yeah, so that so we can get this to fuse. Yeah, because if you leave the cartilage in there, bone won't be able to heal. Cartilage is a avascular substance. barrier. Yeah. yeah. So, so we uh, carve we all that to out. Bone to bone. Yep. That's the, the two pieces we took out. That's and then nice. we were able to actually use some of his own bone. So we took the cartilage off both sides, and then we used some of his bone, which wasn't really Charcot. Yeah. It was still nice and nice hard. Had some, yeah, bone, had some so. good cancellous bone. So we used that as bone graft, and then we filled in those gaps with uh, the exogenous bone yeah, graft. Yeah, so the, the, we just said, like, the cartilage, take you denude all that cartilage off, you place it back into place, and then you fix it, get a little compression across there. And we've got a Steinman pin going up the medial column just Keep to hold in everything in place. Right. Yeah. Yep. And so... The frame was then used to stabilize all of this. Yeah. And, and the, now the, the gap, you can see the gap between the first and second ray is better. Yeah. We've got the bone graft in place. And then we're just going to hold it in place. And then, yes, you can see we use bend wire technique to pull the forefoot back onto the rear foot. Yeah. But do it along my rail. Because otherwise, you may yeah. pull it and dislocate it again. So I, I really like the rail system uh, for that. And then we put in a, you know, put in a drain. A little drain. Yep. I try to keep folks like this you know, in a long-term acute care setting for about three weeks, though. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Russia, Ilazarov was fortunate, and you know, th this is the largest orthopedic hospital in the world, 650-bed uh, hospital. Wow. All they do is this stuff. And he was fortunate because he was able to keep his patients in the hospital for the entire course of their care, so wow. three or four months, sometimes longer. And, you know, that's great. But that's not modern medicine anymore. And even yeah. over there, they were getting more and more pressure to get people out of the hospital sooner. Yeah. So, you know, in the United States, I can't keep somebody in an acute care hospital for three months. So that's why they have these step-down facilities. Right. And so that's what we do. We get them into a, either a rehab or a long-term acute care. And they get physical therapy. They get, uh, they get to work on trying to stay off the foot. Yeah. Uh, they get to work on how to take care of these, how yeah. to, ch you know, change your pin side dressings. Um, how to look for, you know, any screws or bolts that might be loose. And uh, it gives them a chance to get used to it before they have to go home and then really, you know, kind of sometimes be on their own with it. Yeah. Uh, but not a, not a difficult thing to do. This is a really extreme case. So this is a good example of... When you try to fix one problem, it causes a different problem. Or, or just simply not fully addressing the original issue. So when you do amputations in the foot, if you don't combine them with tendon balancing you are dooming the patient yeah. to further problems down the line. And amputations sound like a very simple thing to do, but I don't know what it was like in your residency, but in my residency, the major amputations, the seniors did them. The upperclassmen, the third and fourth year residents were yeah. the ones doing those amputations because it's not just cutting stuff off. You have to then do the reconstruction, if you can, at the same time or stage it. Yeah. And you're, you're doing the, the tendon balancing to prevent the varus deformity or the valgus deformity. 
So this lady had her entire fifth metatarsal basically and the base removed, which meant that the perineus brevis tendon was no longer attached to anything. And they didn't reattach it. They didn't do any tendon balancing. So her foot progressively became basically almost a club foot. So the proneus brevis tendon comes in from the lateral ankle, right? Comes in and inserts on this fifth metatarsal base here. When you resect that bone here, what typically most docs will do, either the day of or uh, staged afterwards, well, they'll go and tag that to the pronus longus tendon, which is right next to it. Or, or even connected or to, to the, the cuboid. Or the cuboid, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or somewhere close by. Right. So it still has that pull to help bring this foot to, out. To counteract another tendon, which is doing the opposite. Yeah, your yeah. antagonist, your posterior tibial tendon, is and pulling tibial that anterior. tendon. Yeah. yeah, it's pulling that. Uh, right. You know, in, so in if you don't have it, you're doomed to watch the foot slowly over time get into a very supinated position. So this lady was literally walking on the side of her foot. Yeah, and the, like the unfortunately, the previous surgical approach yeah. was to plane it off. And you can see in that picture where it looks like the bottom bones are flat. They yeah. chose to try to address her chronic ulcer problem by just continuing to chase the bump. Yeah. And with a foot like this, it takes one x-ray to look at it and go, that's not going to work. Yeah, you can chase the bump all you want, but then that bump is just going to keep yeah, on collapsing. collapsing. More and, more. and her heel is not bearing any weight. I mean, her heels <laughs> like upside down again. Yeah. So that foot structure is extremely difficult to deal with. And I think this is probably one of the most remarkable cases that I've been involved in where we were able to really eliminate all of the reasons why this lady was ulcerating in yeah. one surgery, which is so great. A lot of overlap here. I'm going to jump through that one. But here, yeah. you can see that foot's in neutral again. It's a lot closer than what it was before. Yeah. You got your tension yeah. wires coming across mm-hmm. here. So we're pulling the midfoot into the rear foot and we're pulling the forefoot back into the midfoot. We're trying to just get all of those small joints and bones in the midfoot to fuse together. Yeah, one solid bony mass. Right. Tough to make out what's yeah. going on with those some of those pictures. But you can see that's a much better position for that foot. Yeah. You've got the metatarsals lined up and then the, I think the lateral view is next. That's oh, remarkable. Oh, wow. That looks so, amazing. Yeah, to be able to fuse her ankle, her subtalar joint, which is in the back there, and to get the arch back to give her yeah. the ability to bear weight on the forefoot and the heel bone yeah. only. And Literally not from like yeah, this to this. To, to that. It, that's really a pretty remarkable. Um, I've actually, <laughs> actually had colleagues co- claim that that wasn't the same patient. I'm like, no, it was. <laughs> like, Shut up. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely the same patient. 56-year-old diabetic patient with a bimalleolar fracture or ankle fracture with little ability to comply with necessary offloading. Some of these folks, it's just really tough, man. They live alone. They don't have a lot of help at home. Yeah. And try to, to, to expect that they're going to be compliant when you put plates and screws in them and put them in a cast and tell them you can't walk on this for six weeks or eight yeah. weeks. Try to make it around your house with a crutches or yeah. a wheelchair or a knee scooter. And they're already having trouble just, you know, standing up, you know, getting off the chair and stuff. So with these diabetic ankle fractures, these can be limb threatening. Yeah. You can't screw around with these. Is it possible and appropriate to do internal fixation in this case? Absolutely, you could do that. But you're taking a little bit more of a chance because they are diabetic. Leaving internal fixation in is is the potential nidus for infection. And you're not able to use your fixation to keep them off of it. With X-Fix, I can use my fixation to keep them off of it. In a combination, maybe. So sometimes using internal fixation and then putting a frame around it so that they can walk on the frame and they don't have to use crutches necessarily. Granted, I still try to get people to use crutches 
Not for at least the first four yeah, weeks. Tripod. E- yeah, even with the uh, X-Fix. But in an emergency, if they put their foot down, they stumble, they're not going to destroy my construct. Yeah. And with plates and screws, that happens. Yeah. It's, you know, it just can. Yeah, the plates and screws are only there to hold alignment. They're not there to, to bear the weight of the body. Once that bone heals, by all means, those bones can take the pressure. But for the most part, when, when dealing with things like this, they're there to hold the alignment so the bone can heal, and then you're back to your 100% again. All right. So, so here you can see that fibular fracture, that transverse medial avulsion type So that's fracture. a completely uh, unstable ankle right now. Yeah. And um, it w- so we did a combination. We used, you know, internal fixation. We did choose to primarily fuse his ankle joint yeah. and his subtalar joint, though. And that's uh, probably somewhat controversial. But in, in this case, this guy was not going to do well. Yeah. He basically had one shot at developing a stable limb and one shot only. And he was like... I don't care about the loss of range of motion. If you think it's best for us to fuse this and then I don't have to mess with it anymore, let's do it. And I've routinely seen this guy every six months or so, and he, he he's doing great. He, he hasn't missed the, the range of motion, and he's not ulcerated. He's not had any other problems. Yeah. So it eliminated the issue uh, right off the bat. And so I stand by this uh, choice. Yeah, to, you got to your crossing screw it. fixation yep. all across here. Mm-hmm. He did great. And he tolerated the surgery well. Um, we were able to control stress on the incision line. We were able to see the incision line every day. Yeah, so you got uh, your crossing wires up top. You got your crossing walls through the heel. Yep. And then I'm guessing you put that uh, the rocker bottom thing on there for him to walk yep. around on. Yeah, that we usually put that on uh, in the recovery room. So that, you know, you can see internal fixation. You got screws backing out. You know, it's not, it's yeah. not perfect. Uh, you got to be careful with some of that stuff. So when a diabetic patient, you can do this. I mean, clearly this is a potential way to address uh, an injury like that. But leaving the hardware in there, you know, can be a potential problem. Is this yours? Yeah, we did that one. That was a different patient. That was just showing, you know, what you can do. But this is also showing what it can happen, though, because the screws were backing out. We had to address that. You don't have to worry about that when you're doing purely X-Fix because you're not leaving any hardware behind. That's the, the, the benefit. Yeah. This is this is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, your your diabetic patient, oh, man. end stage renal disease, yeah. no pulses, monophasic on Doppler. This is someone obviously you're not trying to. No, <laughs> you want to address this if you can with uh, X fix and just use skinny wire technique. And you can move bone with these wires. Uh, you can see it's hard to make it out, but it's a fibular fracture there. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. You look at that calcified vessel. Yep. So you know definitely uh, neuropathic. And so we just basically did a rush rod with that and rotted the medial malleolus there. Um, patient did great. Wow. Didn't mess with it. Didn't mess with anything else. Another, I think, good indication for X-Fix is that extremely morbid obese patient where you know you're going to have to keep them off of it for six or eight weeks and there's just no way they're going to stay off. Yeah. Yeah, you get earlier weight-bearing w- without compromising the construct. I think that's important. So you can clearly see... That's not the way the foot should look. So the first metatarsal is literally impaled, the first cuneiform, yeah. almost like a pile driver. Oh, yeah. Look at the, yeah. the second, third, and fourth. They Just look like they've been laterally subluxed. Totally dislocated. Yeah. Yeah, that foot's a mess. Oh, yeah, look at that. Yep. And so that patient's, you know, that's going to be, and this guy is a big dude. It, that was not going to be an easy case. We used internal fixation. So... Yep. And so this this is just kind of showing us building the frame. So that's that, that original block, that's called the stability block. 
So those wires are all through the tibia. You might catch the fibula on one of them. That's the basis for which you then build the rest of the frame. And uh, that provides you your stability and lets you offload. But you can see, look at that. It literally uh, split the metatarsal in yeah, half. down the shaft. <laughs> wow. Yeah, the first cuneiform is literally just a pile driver. So we build the frame out. I don't like pre-building them. I, yeah, I, it's it's, an, build them it's an art form. You know, yeah. we, we're quick enough with it now that we can build them on the fly. And I think we're more accurate because we're building the frame to the anatomy and not the other way around. Yeah. These wires right here, that's for that first and second to bring it back over? Just temporary fixation. Yeah, yeah nice. I like to use those as rails. And you can see the end result there. 50-year-old type 2 diabetic status post ankle arthrodesis. He had uh, post-traumatic arthrosis and possible Charcot. So he had a post-op infection after having uh, the original surgeon ambulate him at two weeks. That's probably a little, a little early for ankle, ankle fusion. <laughs> yeah. Uh, subsequent surgeon, which still wasn't me, uh, removed the internal fixation and then encouraged ambulation on a painful, unstable ankle joint. So that was not a good idea either. So, you know, we, that's, you know, we refer to that as the orthopedic misadventure. Um, six weeks of IV antibiotics were done and, and sent him on his way. That wasn't going to address the yeah, architectural problem. Yeah, infection, but it's not going to fix the, the no. initial problem. So he had a return to the OR for stabilizing external fixator and multiple bone biopsies, and that's a, a, what I did for him. Uh, out to the, the bone infection, the chronic bone infection, right. And then once he was cleared, then we could do what we needed to do. So originally we started with the with the frame to kind of stabilize everything because the ankle was just completely unstable. This is actually a nurse. Uh, he was a floor nurse. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. And you can see things are really well lined up. If you drew a line through the tibia, through the tibial... Um, Crest, the, or the, I mean, that's the tubercle. Tubercle, yeah. You could draw that line straight down through the second toe, and that's, that's where you want it. Uh, you know, it's a lot of metal. Yeah, we feel, yep, he did great. Lined up beautifully. Fuse nice that, and solid. Fuse that ankle. Yeah. Yep. And that's my theory of, of Charcot ankle is if you can leave no evidence that you were there, yeah. <laughs> in other words, no hardware behind yeah. in a diabetic patient, I think that's going to be beneficial. And the times I've had problems with internal fixation down the line, I've wished I had done X-Fix because... I think leaving big bolts and screws and stuff in these diabetic patients, stuff moves, it starts to back out, it can get yeah. infected. I, I don't do the rotting anymore the, the through the metatarsals because I, I had one that got infected as it was backing out of his forefoot. Pus was going all the way down the bolt, all the way into his calcaneus, and he ended up with calcaneal osteo oh, wow. through the bolt. So, ah, you know, I'm just not a big fan of those. So, yeah, percutaneous compression is is really one of the most powerful things you can do with external fixation. Yeah, especially when you're doing those large crossing screws. Those crossing screws are taking up surface area where bone can be growing into. So if you do your standard, you know, ankle fusions with crossing screws, which work great, but for certain patients, you want as solid as possible. Those screws take up space where bone could be growing into, but when you do the, the K-wires with the frame, you have zero space that's being occupied or lost to the hardware. Right. That can be beneficial, absolutely, especially for fusions. Mm -hmm. So this is, fracture. yeah, we had, this was a, you could call this a Freiburg 5, um, yeah. which is, you know, the calcaneus involved. So the Achilles was pulling so hard in this diabetic neuropathic patient that it literally split the calcaneus in two in a tongue-type fracture. 
these are really difficult and it's very difficult to treat these conservatively. And yeah. I had a colleague who was treating this guy conservatively and just doing serial casting. And if, I don't know if you can see the, the, so the progression of the, so you can see the heel is almost looks like a C shaped. Yeah. So his heel is getting further and further out of position, which is making him fall to the right. And now look at the gapping, the gapping's getting wow. worse. And you can see the bones trying to heal, but, but that traction from that Achilles it's is, just making it is worse. ruthless. So this was a difficult case because the surgeon treating this guy kept hoping things were healing. Um, it got to the point where his heel was so far out of position, and I think that, that slide's coming up here, that he broke his ankle brushing oh his gosh. teeth. So he's literally his heel is so far out of position, he's brushing his teeth one night, and he hears this pop, pop. And he comes in the next day, and I'm looking at this. And so now he has a fibular fracture, a tibial fracture, and he has a calcaneus that's still not healing. So he's the only patient that I can think of who actually broke his ankle brushing his teeth. <laughs> he was just, just going hard he was at just it. Just going at it, yeah. you know, doing his normal thing, and then snap. So, you know, this is what can happen when you've got physics, <laughs> forces on the foot yeah. in bone that is clearly abnormal, in a neuropathic patient who can't feel pain. He literally didn't feel any of this. Yeah, he just heard it. Right. Oh, wow. So and at this stage, this guy was headed to an ankle fusion, and we're going to you know, try to save his limb, because yeah. this is a limb-threatened situation for sure. So, yeah, he got the full Monty. And we did kind of an unusual screw that I don't usually do. You can see it at the heel. We actually retrograded a, a big screw from the heel so we didn't have to flip him over and it was just an awkward angle to throw a screw but throwing it from the heel up was really easy we just needed something to strut that gap and it worked perfectly so large um, bony block your body is trying to heal that's the thing right. if you let it heal if you bring it to good alignment it's gonna heal and, and you then, can see this is exactly what we were shooting for we wanted Solid. one massive bone ankle gone some tailor joint gone they were going to be gone anyway yeah and we've just fused them in a position that the patient can retain his limb. And this guy, I see him back every six months or so for the last several years. He's in an AFO. Uh, he's still working. He does great. He's got, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty massive limb. It looks like an elephant limb now. Yeah, you can see how it's a little swollen. Yeah, but but he controls that with compression stockings, and, and he's really happy with it. He's just so fortunate to still have a limb. Yeah. Uh, Charcot ankle fractures like that, Charcot fives with the heel and the ankle involved, man, th those folks don't do well. Yeah. And you, you decide to open that up and put internal fixation in that, boy, you're, you're playing Russian roulette with that leg because if that gets infected, they're toast. And the other advantage is I, I left one screw in there. Yeah, single, single, single screw. The rest of that was all done with uh, you know skinny wire technique. Okay, this is a really difficult one. This is a good example of, I, you know, I, I, I hate it when lecturers throw all their good results out there and they don't yeah. throw in one that didn't do well because I, I just think everybody has bad outcomes no matter I know how hard you try. So this was a, an extremely obese diabetic patient who had already had a below knee amputation on uh, the right from a massive osteomyelitis. Well, I wasn't involved in that. Uh, she found me... Um, through my reputation with Charcot reconstruction for her left side, which was breaking down. Yeah. And she was refusing a baloney on the left. Um, honestly, people who have a 
bologna on the right and a bologna on the left don't really live very long. Yeah, your lifespan, it's 50% Ooh. in the next three years. Yeah, it's its not good. You just, you, you stress the heart because you don't have the reservoir of fluid in those limbs anymore. And so you get preload on the heart and the heart that's already probably damaged from diabetes and, and, and heart, high blood pressure. And so it's, it's not a good situation. So she's refusing that, but you can clearly see that her foot is disassociated wow. from the leg. So her foot has literally fallen off the leg. So basically, this is going to be a tough one. Yeah. So it required a staged approach. You can literally see the tibia and the fibula are sitting next to the calcaneus. Next to the yeah. calcaneus, and that's, seriously. Isn't that crazy? So, and she walked around. And that bone looks so washed out. Oh, yeah. It's a mess. It's charcoal bone. It's crappy bone. Um, we were going to have to, to literally do a massive femoral head bone graft. And so initially what we did was we uh, biopsied the bone because she had an ulcer underneath the tibia and fibula, wow. um, clearly. And we biopsied that. We found that there was osteo there. We cleared out all the osteo. We implanted antibiotic beads and we put it in a frame to pull her out to length. You put a string technique? Yeah. Nice. So we left that stuff in for about six weeks. We recultured her, rebone biopsied her. We found her clear. And then we put in the femoral head graft, which is just a massive circular you know, piece Large, of bone. Large, cancellous, cortical right. bone. You can use that and not crush it down by using the frame to keep things compressed, but not yeah. allowed to just crush the thing. Yeah, that's the benefit of the, the femoral head. You've right. got five out of six sides of that bone to be completely oh, cortical. I like to shave a little of the cortex so off. So cancellous to cancellous? Yep. And then put a couple of drill holes through it and fill those with bone graft. So nice. I filled that with viagraft that we oh, get. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Good stuff, awesome stuff. So we implanted that between the tibia and the calcaneus. And go back a little bit. So put her back in the frame. She was in that frame for about three months because that's a big bone to incorporate. Yeah. And uh, all indications were with uh, subsequent x-rays that things looked like they were healing. And we took her out of the frame. We put her in a brace and if you show the next bit, and then she fell off again. Okay. Uh, she had a non-union. We just couldn't see it on X-ray. Um, it was difficult to get a CT with all the hardware in yeah. the way. Yeah, so yeah. It just it was tough. Yeah, so I think I, in retrospect, I don't know that I would try to reconstruct somebody with I an IM nail may have been a better choice for her. Um, it, I don't know that it would have worked any better. Yeah, but yeah. because she's a baloney amputee on the other side, this is really, really hard. She has a Charcot crappy bone, and she already has a limb loss situation on the other side. So she's putting all her pressure on this. Yeah. I think if we had kept her in the frame for six months, maybe, we would have gotten a chance. But she kept getting pin tract infections. She would swell, yeah. and then the, the swelling would Swirl recede. down. So you're, you're riding that you're, pin, and you're, you're taking pulling, all that bacteria in. You're pulling bacteria into the pin tract sites. It was just... We were playing roulette with her leg no matter what we did. And um, and it ultimately she ended up with a bloody amputation. So, it, you know, sad outcome, difficult outcome. So my, I think, you know, very difficult for her to protect the operative side. We had a difficult time getting CT uh, because of all the hardware. We could have chosen to use an implanted bone stimulator. That was another thing that we, we could have done. We used yeah. an external bone stimulator, but you know, I just don't, it didn't have the impact that we were shooting for, obviously. But I mean, these patients are always those patients that are at highest risk for problems anyways. Right. So you're already fighting an uphill battle when you're dealing with these. Yep. So uh, I yep. think when you explain to the patients, look, we're going to do everything we can. We do our best and I'll be there with you step by step. And so the guy I saw this morning is from the Panhandle. So he, he and his wife drove five hours to get here wow. um he has a foot that looks uh pretty similar but he has an intact 
relatively normal foot on the other side. He's a big dude though. He's like 6'4", 325. I mean, I'm gonna build a, a external fixer that will sustain a 400 pound man, even though yeah. he's not 400 pound, but this thing's gonna be over-engineered. Yeah. And that's the only way that we're gonna be able to control position and allow this guy to keep his leg because he's got a pretty massive wound. So stepwise approach, uh, this was um, originally published by Paola um, up in uh, Chicago, I believe. Achilles lengthening, you know, you do a, an outside uh, the ankle incision, a lateral incision so that you can uh, get to the ankle itself. Um, you know, if the MRI is positive, the wound probes to bone, then you, you know, you do what you need to do to, to treat the infected bone and use the external fixer to span things so you can treat your soft tissue wounds um, and prepare everything for the arthrodesis. And then in this particular series of, of patients, they, they had 45 patients where they all had osteomyelitis. They used the external fixer to span things. They dealt with the infection, they bone grafted it, and then they kept them in the uh, walking boot for 12 weeks for 12 weeks after an average of 25 weeks yeah. in the x-fix I mean, it's a long period six, of time. 16 to 34 weeks which so. is what they need yeah sometimes that's what it takes and they had great results pinzer michael pinzer as an orthopedic surgeon he's he's in chicago i know that he published on 26 consecutive diabetic patients with charco uh using a similar um yeah, technique. Achilles lengthening. yeah it's pretty it's a it's a recipe and then the three level circular ring fixer that's really my favorite uh, I think the circular ring fixers are able to offload the foot better than than a hybrid that's really good results yeah fantastic results wow. and that's really where we're at I'm showing you like one out of maybe four or five failures that we've had in the last yeah. 10 years so yeah. it's we've had really good results using this but we're also very careful with the patients that we choose there are some patients that just aren't a good candidate for X-Fix. You know, if they live alone and they have no help, it's that's tough. Yeah, um, there's a lot of social problems that go into it. It's not yeah. just you're looking at the x-ray and you're fixing the x-ray. You're not fixing the x-ray, you're fixing the patient. This morning, that discussion with the patient this morning, his wife was right there and I, and I explained to her, you know, we talked about all the things that go into using an external fixer and, and that you're going to need to adjust his pants. You're going to need to put uh, Velcro or zippers up the side of the pants so that you can get pants on and off. Yeah. You're gonna to need to make sure you've got an easy access in and out of the house. We may need to Wheelchair have, ramps, we may need to have social work. Mode. We may have social work come out and do a complete eval of your home and make sure that you have the capacity. Thankfully, they've already done that. They've got grab bars in the bathrooms. They've got ramps and all that stuff. So they're they're, Perfect. they're extremely prepared. Um, <clears throat> but this this gentleman's uh, you know, at risk. So this is, uh, Kind of a is combination of external and internal fixation the best approach. I, I'm in favor of that, but you can clearly see these screws are broken. They got the fusion, but that's under engineered. You need to over engineer a, a these single cases. screw for that. Yeah, it that's not asking a lot. Yeah. So you can um, see the break right across here. This is obviously broken. There's the missing right. handy pipe pulled it out. And, and if point. you go back, that's the same patient. Look at the rocker bottom. I mean, yeah. they, they didn't address the 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 plantar midfoot uh, ulcer site. I mean, you that, that's not going to work. The calcaneus in that position, it's not going to work. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to be able to address that. So that wound in that spot... That's from that rocker bottom. That's telling you that's a rocker bottom foot. It's on the central. Sometimes the lateral ones are even worse where they're underneath the cuboid. But, yeah. you know, that's a very difficult wound to heal if you don't fix the architecture. You can do... 
all kinds of great wound care on that and do total contact casts and keep them off of it and get the wound closed. Yeah. But if you don't fix the underlying architecture, you're, just do you're dooming them to get yeah. it back within six weeks. Yeah. Exactly. And that's where that sore was, yep. I'm guessing. Exactly. And so this approach was to take a wedge. You can see those wires are showing uh, kind of diagrammatically Is what that, we we're um, going to do. A giggly saw? Uh, no, I think uh, no. That was just that was just showing. Um, oh, that might have been that might have been when we used the giggly. But we can also use really thin wires or monofilament wire to kind of just map out where you're going to do your wedge. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I've done a couple of those where you put the the wires across and then you kind of ride the wires on yep. the edge. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> zip, zip, zip. Man. So you created the wedge, then uh, back that up using bend wire technique and the external fixator. So this is Pinzer's case. This yeah. isn't my this isn't my case. That's called a butt plate uh, external fixator where you're clearly not intending the patient to walk on it. That's yeah. not uh, designed to be walked on. But And that's a hybrid that's using the, the half pins and the tibia. I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I'd prefer to just do another, awesome. another level of, yeah. of um, skinny wires, really. It's just a lever arm, you know, if you can get it across both sides. Well, I think you get pin track infections more commonly in the half pins than you do in the, in oh. the skinny wires. Yeah, I yeah. Know. There's there's some issue there. Once the bone starts to heal around those screws, they get they can get loose. Yeah, I mean you can't really see too much here, but they're pulling tension across that that gap right but there. But look where the metatarsals are now, though. Yeah, they're in, in lined up the beautifully. Ankle. Yep. Mm -hmm. And they just left those old screws in because they weren't in the way. Yeah. So There's no reason to go after them. And then in this particular approach, I think they were using the the uh, i-beam approach at the end so if you go through yeah they i-beamed it so again i'm not a i'm not a necessarily a proponent of that i think that leaving more hardware in the foot in diabetic neuropathic patients is just inviting more problems down the line so first and fourth and yeah i mean I, like they got fully it's beautiful they did the a great job yeah. it's, it's gorgeous but i just worry that at some point if one of those things backs out then that's a huge nidus of infection yeah and it'll track along the entire oh head. man you can have pus go from the head all the way to the calcaneus and i've seen it happen yeah <laughs> like that well there's a will there's a way sweet well, that was a pretty complete i think uh overhaul of charcot and what's out there what we're seeing and then what we can do about it yeah, and I like this. If you guys like this, let us know. This is case specific. I mean, we kind of went on the background of Charcot, and hopefully you understand. I think it's more interesting when we got a couple cases in there. So absolutely, these are extremely difficult cases to deal with, and there are fewer surgeons that are willing to deal with these because yeah, they. I try are, to avoid them. I, I push them all to you, you know. <laughs> they're they're a, a patient for life, uh, for better or for worse, and uh, thankfully, our again, our results have been very good, and I'm. I'm confident using that technique and, and we really uh, have done some great work in saving limbs. So it's, it's a worthwhile pursuit in my hands. So, yeah, well, very good. Well, Dr. Sane, thanks again for putting together a great lecture and we will end it here and see you guys next time on the pod doctors. Take care. Bye. -bye. Thank you for listening to the pod doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See y'all next time. Bye-bye.